welcome to the CCFR Radio Podcast, your source for news, updates, and stories from the CCFR. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 129 of the CCFR Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Giltaka. Thanks for joining me again today on the podcast. Uh, we've got tons of stuff to talk about. I know I say that every single time, but uh, we definitely do today. And I think uh, today's episode will be a lot longer than uh, last uh, since the last episode two weeks ago. Because I actually, funny story, I actually had a whole lot more going on in that podcast and I cut it all out. Um, and the reason for that is I'd done this whole kind of thing about some of the, um, the, the challenges I think we're having with journalists and journalism, as, it, as they like to still call it in Canada. And then I kind of watched it over and I was like, ah, this isn't the best use of everyone's time. So I, I cut all that stuff out. So on the contrary, today, it's going to be a bit of a longer podcast because we have a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about. Anyway, before I get started, I want to thank some of the businesses in our community that continue to make the CCFR Radio podcast possible. A big thank you to our friends over at the Saskatchewan Rivers chapter of Safari Club International. They do a lot of great work over there, including supporting the CCFR. So make sure you check them out at saskriversci.com. That's saskriversci.com. And if you're in the market for firearms, ammunition, cold weather gear, maybe even airsoft, you name it, you will find it all through our friends at North Pro Sports. So make sure you check them out at northprosports.com. That's northprosports.com. And of course, Vortex, the force of optics. We like to thank our friends over at Vortex Canada for continuing to support the podcast and providing great products. You can check all that out at vortexcanada.net. That's vortexcanada.net. And to our friends over at CTOMS. CTOMS Academy provides life-saving training in trauma care and human performance. Perfect for outdoor enthusiasts, for hunters, for shooters. You can check them out at ctomsinc.com. That's ctomsinc.com. All right. So um, first thing I want to talk about is something a little bit more fun, which is a YouTube user named Rob P. in the last podcast uh, had left a comment and uh, Rob was concerned about all the flannel that I've been wearing on the podcast recently. Um, so I wore the shirt today for Rob. And Rob, I'm also wearing it on the television show on WOW TV, CCFR Radio on the air as well. Just to, just to, uh, just to allay your concerns that it's going to be flannel from now on. And the reason, the reason why you, you see me wearing a lot more of that stuff is um, I, I record the the podcast and the TV show in in the same day. So all of the stuff where I'm sitting here and talking to Tracy and whatnot, I record that all in one day, and then it takes me about a day and a day and a half, maybe two full days to edit all that stuff, um, output it to the formats that I need to for television and whatnot, and, and upload it to all our channels on social media and get that done. So anyway, it's, it's just a lot easier for me to do, flip back and forth into doing segments between the podcast and the TV show. And so it's easier if I wear the same stuff because knowing me, I'll forget that I'm wearing something. And then all of a sudden in the middle of a podcast or in the TV show, I'll be wearing something different. So um, the TV show on Wild TV, it's a little bit more, little more comfortable, kind of laid back. And that's why I've been wearing that stuff. So anyway, don't worry, Rob, this shirt's for you. Um, next thing, I wanted to talk about uh, kind of a, a politics 101 kind of experience that can, that just happened. And 
Um, how I want to communicate it to you is as follows. So when the handgun freeze came into effect, as you know, the handgun freeze is now in effect. 45 days later than they could have put it into effect. I'm not complaining, but there was a reason why they sat on it for 45 days. Anyway, Tracy and I will talk a, a little more about that. I'm going to talk a little bit about it now too. But basically, um, the liberal government all went out and had three full press conferences in different parts of the country. Okay, full court press, okay, on the handgun freeze, which they announced already back in whatever it was, in the middle of June when it happened, right? So there's just a, basically a whole bunch more press conferences for something they already did press conferences for back in June. So and you're like, you're probably wondering, like, why would they do that? So, and this should explain a lot. So anyway, um, the press conference that Trudeau took part in was in Surrey, British Columbia, in my neck of the woods. And... He was, you know, it was, of course, the media were asking all about the, the handgun freeze and they're all there to cover it. Like it's, it's something new, which it wasn't. And, but one of the reporters asks Trudeau about the recordings that just surfaced, basically proving all the high-ranking RCMP um, and, uh, and RCMP civilians that all were in alignment saying that the RCMP via the liberal government tried to interfere tried to politicize for political gain, tried to politicize the uh, spree shooting, the mass mass casualty event in Nova Scotia back in 2020. And of course, Trudeau denies it. And of course, Bill Blair denied it, but they got caught because there was a recording of that meeting. And Tracy and I will talk about that after, right? But the government knew the recording was coming, right? So they kept the, the handgun presser and the release, you know, the freeze of the handgun coming into force in their back pocket just in case they need it because this is how they roll. This is how it works there, right? You wonder why there's delays in certain things and all of a sudden this is how it works. So anyway, a reporter asks Trudeau about it. I mean, you know, let's not interrupt this old news for something that, you, you know, in the if it was 25 years ago, this would have brought down a government. That's how big of a scandal this is. It is really, truly huge. But anyway... So he's got, gotten caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Yeah, he politicized the deaths of all those people. And, uh, and now, he's, you know, now he's got to face the criticism and he knew it was coming. So I'm going to play a video and I apologize in advance. It's very difficult, I think, for most people to, to, to watch this guy talk, even people that may have voted for him probably twice. So just the most disingenuous, patronizing person. But anyway, watch what he does. Number one, when he's asked about it, the first thing he does is... He has to humanize himself. And how that's done is he has to talk about how saddened and outraged he is at what happened. For one, it deflects that, you know, oh, so what part did you play in this? It deflects it to, yeah, I remember. I remember what happened in Nova Scotia. It was terrible. Just think about the families because that's how normal people think. So he's manipulating you going like, oh, and at the same time, he gets to, uh, he gets to um, vir virtue signal, like, look at what a caring man I am. I mean, I've got to make an acknowledgement here because I care so much. So I couldn't possibly have done what you think of, what you're accusing me of, right? And so what is he, what is he doing? He's really leveraging these victims to protect himself in his own political career. So that's the first thing he does, right? He's done this stuff before. He's fairly, fairly good at it, although he's a terrible actor. Um, the second thing he does is he takes credit and you'll watch, this is all sequential. He takes credit for the public inquiry, granting a public inquiry for the victims, families, and the community down in Nova Scotia. I guess he knows full well that everyone will have, will have forgotten that when this happened, Bill Blair, the, the 
the families in Nova Scotia and the community said, we want a public inquiry because this thing stinks. Bill Blair says, I hear you, we have heard you, so we're doing an internal review and we'll get to the bottom and it's just like, this isn't what we asked for. And those families fought for three months to get a public inquiry. And they, and they had to fight the liberal government tooth and nail. And in fact, it culminated in them holding a march from some point in the community to the local RCMP detachment. 300 people marched to demand a public inquiry after three months of fighting while they had lost relatives and their whole, their, their communities got shot up and buildings burned and, you know, like, and so what he does is first he, he stands on the, on the, um, on victims to try to sidestep this stuff. Then he takes credit for granting that public inquiry as if he did something for them. And then third, he sidesteps the rest of the question by lecturing everybody on how the relationship between law enforcement and the government works. Never really answers the question like, did you do this? No way. So just have a look at it. And it's only about a minute and a half, but just watch how he goes from that one thing to the next to the next. It's quite, it's quite monstrous, really. Um, the commissioner confirmed that she was responding to a request from a minister about firearms and stressed that uh, your government was in the middle of trying to get firearms legislation going. Um, what can you say to assure Canadians that this wasn't a sign the government was um, meddling in a police investigation? Um, in the days and weeks following the horrific massacre in Porta Peak, uh, a killing that left communities reeling, families grieving, and Canadians from coast to coast to coast shocked. Um, Canadians and those families wanted answers. And we wanted to get, make sure that those families got as many answers as they could as quickly as possible, which is part of why we launched the public inquiry that's going on right now. But every step of the way, we recognized and supported the fact that the RCMP and police of jurisdiction are the ones who decide what is released and when. They make decisions about how to balance the need of the public to get answers and the need to protect the integrity of investigations. And as we saw in this case, it was the police that months later made that decision to release more information. Uh, we will always ask on behalf of Canadians for more answers but we always ensure uh, that the RCMP and police officers can do their jobs. Okay, next question, CBC. Isn't that something? Isn't that, isn't that really something to watch, right? Anyway, it's, it's funny. I, I'm going to share one, uh, one thing before I move on with you. Is um, If you guys remember way back, I had a YouTube channel. I had a training company, Civil Advantage Firearms Training, back in the day. And I wanted nothing to do with politics because I had that and I had another, I had a technology business in Montreal that I was um, a third owner and, and was running as well. And I never wanted to be involved in politics, but I kind of got sucked into it a little bit. And the person that kind of dragged me into it and the consequence, consequentially or inevitably, I should say, um, or eventually, the, that was the same person that got me into the CCFR that recommended that I uh, be the first president of the CCFR. But anyway, when I first met this, this person, they said, when you get to Ottawa for the first time and see what's really going on there, it will change you as a person. And I was like, oh, I don't know if it change me, but that's an interesting thing to say. And then you get there and you start dealing with people and seeing what the behavior's like from all these people that, that came from probably overwhelmingly mediocre lives. There's some high performers there, but mediocre lives 
and they get to Ottawa and then they're walking the halls of power. They're making more money than they've ever made or they'll ever make in their lives. They, they get to stay in nice hotels. Everything's paid for. They're flying back and forth across the country business class. You know, they get all this respect. They have some authority. They know people that are running the country, you know, and it, 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 it changes them because most people, I think, I would say probably most people, they have a, a, um, a vulnerability, a little piece of their heart that is subject to corruption and, and it just, it just gets them. And, uh, and I didn't think it would, it, I don't think it's changed me, but certainly my eyes are open so that when I see something like we just watched with Justin Trudeau, like I know exactly what he's doing because I hear those conversations all the time. Oh, here's, you know, we're going to go out on this because this is the right time, or we're going to hold this in our back pocket, you know, till there's a scandal and then that'll be a channel changer for us. And, you know, just, and you just watch them do it. And it's just, when you know what they're doing, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, next thing I want to talk about real quick is there's some fake accounts floating around. I guess, you know, you've made it when people are making fake accounts uh, of the CCFR and fake accounts of me. So there's a fake account over on Instagram. I've known this for like two months, but I keep forgetting to bring it up. Um, that whoever it is stole every picture. I mean, it's a dead account. I'm never on Instagram, but um, they've stolen every picture that I have and recreated a Rod Giltak account. And then they're reaching out, trying to sell people Bitcoin or something, you know, directly messaging people. So just be aware of that stuff. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sell anybody Bitcoin, man. Uh, just so, you know, if you're wondering, and I don't talk to a lot of people because I'm so busy and then I'm, I've got my other challenges that I'm dealing with uh, at the same time. So <clears throat> if, I'm, if I'm contacting you to buy something or whatever, it's probably not me. Uh, and there's a couple of fake CCFR accounts. I think there might be one on TikTok and who knows, I haven't bumped into any, but there could be um, fake accounts for the CCFR on other social media platforms. So if you're not sure it's us or not, look at the content, look at how much content, look to see if, if I'm commenting or Wilson's commenting on stuff things like that. But yeah, there's some fake accounts floating around there. Don't buy anything, uh, no Bitcoin or anything from people claiming to be the uh, CCFR. All right. Last uh, story I want to talk to you about before I bring Wilson on. It's pretty, this is a pretty, this is a pretty good one. So uh, Luke sent this to me this morning and I'm like, man, I got to talk about that on the podcast and on the I don't know if it'll make the TV show because it's uh, we don't have as much time, but a really interesting story. So in British Columbia, there's a bit of a wolf problem right now. And, you know, I'm not a hunter, but many of you guys are. You know this better than I do. Wolves, uh, wolves need to be out there for sure. But the problem is, is if you have uh, declining numbers in uh, declining deer populations or caribou or moose or whatever, like wolves are, are a big part of that, right? If not the main driver. And like one wolf uh, kills 20 deer a year just to support one wolf. So a wolf pack with six or eight, you know, this is like 150 deer or caribou that they're, they're killing, right? So I guess there's an issue with caribou in British Columbia. So the government has been culling wolves. And that's not a hunting activity. That's wildlife management. So anyway, um, Global News puts out this story. I'm going to play you the video. It's a couple of minutes, but it's worth watching because it's just like, I, where do these people come from? So there's, there's this guy, and apparently he used to be a conservation officer and was in the military, and his complaint is that conservation officers are using an AR platform semi-auto to shoot these wolves with high-capacity magazines as well because they, what they do is they shoot them from helicopters because nobody wants to be on the ground hunting wolves, um, I'll have you know. So, <laughs> so anyway... This guy, and this was the outrage. It was the gun that they were using to shoot the wolves with. This guy is is 
is distressed about. Anyway, check out this video. It's only a couple minutes long. A few months ago, we told you about BC's controversial Wolf Kill program, where helicopters are used to gun down entire families of wolves to try and help the recovery of struggling caribou herds. Conservationists say it's cruel and inhumane. And this week, they were shocked with news about the class of weapons they believe the province is now using for that program and others. The public would know this as an AR platform, uh, semi-automatic um, assault rifle. Check out this recent photo tweeted out by the BC Conservation Officer Service and take a close look at the weapon held by the man on the left. Former conservation officer Bryce Cassavant, who also served in the Canadian Forces, says a rifle like that is overkill for wildlife management. It's promoting the paramilitarization of conservation services and of wildlife services. Why? This concept that we need 30 rounds and the ability to fire them very quickly is the exact antithesis of an ethical shooting activity. Cassavant says by calling it a patrol rifle, they're disguising its status as a military-grade weapon. That's deployment was not discussed with the public ahead of time. How do you feel about officers with military-grade um, weapons showing up in your community um, to address wildlife uh, concerns or, or complaints? Paul Johnson, Global News. Man, where do these people come from? Like, and this guy should know, this guy should know better, you know? And I mean, you know, he's, he's invoking fair chase, right? If you're a hunter, you know what fair chase is. It's like, well, this hasn't got nothing to do with fair chase doesn't matter if you, if somebody's got a 30 round magazine they're they're this is wildlife management dude it's not it's not a sport so anyway and it's not hunting so and and just the outrage of of what firearms police or or, or conservation are using it's just like what why do you care they're exempt from the from the firearms act the police act exempts them from the firearms act so it doesn't matter what they're using you know, it's the best tool for the job, no matter whether it's painted black or has a has a forend on it with some little holes that you can put a flashlight on there. It doesn't matter, man. All right. I've uh, taken enough of your time. Uh, we're going to get uh, Tracy Wilson on the Skype right now and uh, get an update on a bunch of other stuff. All right. Via Skype, we've got Tracy Wilson of the CCFR. Wilson. <laughs> hey, Rod. How you doing? Not bad. How are you? Good. Busy. Crazy. All right. Well, we've got a ton of stuff to go through, so let's get started. Uh, first thing, um, you know, seems like a minor item since we have so much to talk about, but it actually is still a major item. So from uh, yeah. between now and the last podcast, uh, another province has decided to tell Marco Mendicino and Justin Trudeau to poke it. It's New Brunswick. Yeah. So this was no surprise to me. I spoke to the minister and I knew it was coming, um, but this is great. And here's the thing, at the end of the day, I don't think there's any province that is really excited about wasting very crucial and limited police resources chasing around legal gun owners when there's actual police stuff to be done, right? So uh, yeah, so New Brunswick joins the, the fight and telling Marco to figure it out himself. And they are unwilling to aid in his idea for the, um, the buyback program, the confiscation program. So yeah, so let's let's see who else comes along. But yeah, now there are five. Yeah, and uh, let's let's keep it going. There's probably there's got to be another province or two out there that would uh, that would tell these people to mind their own business. I I would I would hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure there will be more. That would be mm -hmm. nice. All right. So the next thing we need to talk about is a quick update 
on uh, Bill C-21? Yeah, so C-21 is working its way through the system a little quicker than I think most people were anticipating. If you remember back to C-71, they basically uh, allotted eight meetings where witnesses could come and testify about various parts of the bill, whether in opposition or in favor for them. Um, and they allotted the same amount of meetings for C-21. The problem is they are now doing two meetings a week on C-21, so twice as quick as they did it for C-71. And, of course, the week of November 7th will probably uh, be the end of testimony on this. So the bill from there, right now it's in that consideration stage at committee. It'll move to the report stage. So there will be um, a report come out from SECU with ideas for um, amendments or changes to the bill, improvements or things that need to be removed. And then, of course, it'll go to the House for third reading, which is a clause by clause reading and a vote. And then off to the Senate. So I don't know an exact timeline, but I would say probably late spring. Um, so a little quicker than C-71. Um, of course, there's no real way to stop it. They will not withdraw it. And they do have the votes to get it passed. So we're going to keep trying our best to kick the can down the uh, down the alley here and delay it as much as possible. Expect to see a ton of amendments brought forward, uh, probably from, from all sides, but every amendment has to be kind of considered, debated, and voted on. So it's very time-consuming, which is good. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. All right. Well, um, now that we've got that update, what about um, high points during the committee meetings? I mean, well, let me let me reel that back for a second. As you probably have seen, the CCFR has, has been putting out video after video after video about uh, – the uh, the committee testimony, yeah. and uh, and of course that's our social media manager Brandon just hammering the videos out, which uh, which is great work. Um, but yeah. uh, let's talk about a couple of high points from committee. It's been an interesting experience for sure. Yeah, it's been pretty wild. So I'm going to do like the old hockey style, where I'm going to give out three stars. So I'm going to start with Solomon Friedman. He is a local Ottawa criminal defense lawyer and firearm law specialist, probably the foremost in the country. I would very comfortably say, and literally everything out of that guy's mouth from his five minute opening speech uh, of testimony to every single answer of every single question is just a complete mic drop. He's just been nailing it. I don't think there's anybody in the country that probably has a deeper understanding of the elements of the legislation and the possible or maybe intended side effects um, of some of these uh, measures down the road. So he gets uh, first star from me. Um, Marcel Wilson from the One by One movement, uh, he testified last week, and I'm sure a lot of you were able to catch the little clips. If not, make sure you check it out on our socials. But he just did an, a wonderful job. This is a guy who's a reformed gang member. He started an organization called the One by One movement, and he's literally boots to the ground all hours of the night in the streets of Toronto trying to divert kids from a life of crime. So just incredible work. And he just shot down all these ideas. And of course, he wants more investments in community and, and at-risk youth initiatives and whatnot. And then third star, I'm going to give it to Linda Keiko. <clears throat> she, of course, was the vice chair on CFAC back in the Ralph Goodale days. And she also is a, an Olympic champion. She comes from a long line of Olympians. Her dad was an Olympic champion as well. And although there's um, already a sort of a built-in exemption to the handgun stuff uh, in the freeze for Olympic athletes, 
she was very clear in committee to the liberals that closing the market for the rest of us actually pretty much eliminates our chance at having any future in the Olympic shooting sports. Because where do you think you get your pool of up and coming athletes from? Well, it's from all the other disciplines or other casual firearms users users at the range who show some talent, right? So uh, uh, Linda just did an awesome job and you cannot trip her up. Super smart lady. Uh, she's an engineer and just mama three and just a, a wonderful pride for Canada. So yeah, those are my three stars. Well, another thing that Linda Keiko did well is she didn't throw any other gun owners under the bus, right? So it's very, <laughs> yes. yeah, it's very appealing for some people to see, you know, to, to see this exemption and want an exemption for their association. And, you know, I don't know, it's almost like grandfathering, right? It's like, well, I can still yeah. use my prohibited firearm, so I'm not going to make much noise anymore against the government. I'm not going to, th you know, throw tomatoes at them or whatever, because I've got my stuff. And I think it's a, I think it's a tactic the government uses. And we kind of saw that, I think, in some of the testimony. Yeah, absolutely. And I get it. Look, every opportunity we've got to poke holes in this bill, I agree with taking it but not at the expense of throwing everyone else under the bus. So yeah, yeah there was, it was a little sticky yesterday, but um, in any event, um, I think it, do, it, it does show that we need a little more unity in our community. <laughs> was that intentional? That's right. Yeah, okay. All right. I, I, I did just, it on purpose. I didn't know yeah. that it was, uh, that it wasn't, uh, that it was intentional. Um, the other thing I'll mention too, <laughs> about uh, speaking to Marcel is um, Polly and the docs and, and oh. Wendy Sukir, they, they act in such a disgraceful manner sometimes. It's just, it's, it's wild how even their own people aren't outraged by it. And one of the things that Polly did, of course, because they're so blinded by their hatred of anything to do with, with anyone that would legally own a firearm and be a responsible citizen, that they attacked Marcel Wilson. And in fact, they did it through, uh, through Pam Damoff. Um, and you know, I'm not trying to deify Marcel. I'm sure, you know, he's just as imperfect as, uh, as you or I. But this guy has spent a lot of his life trying to turn things around and to, and to bring the lessons that he's learned to at-risk youth in the communities yeah. that are a huge part of this problem. And at, at probably enormous personal risk, while people like Pam Damhoff and Polly and everybody else sit back and you know, throw rocks at people via social media or government committees. And they attacked yeah. him because he didn't go along with their narrative and they didn't used to attack him. As soon as he was like, you know what, I think there's a little bit more to this than meets the eye and this whole gun control thing right away. Oh, you're out and you're colluding with the gun lobby. So um, we had a while back done a fundraiser <laughs> and we raised, it wasn't a huge one, but we raised $6,000 and we thought, you know what, this is a, this is a really good cause. And, you know, we want to be part of the solution. It's not like we can fund everybody or, you know, fundraise for everybody, but we did this little thing for Marcel to help him. And we did, we fundraised for other groups as well. And you can talk about <laughs> that in a second. But because we did that, because we gun owners raised money for at-risk youth in Toronto, then the anti-gun people will attack the groups that we did a fundraiser for. So I'm just going to read a couple yeah. of their tweets really quick. So their first yeah. tweet was uh, Polly tweets out and of course I got to call him out and, and link to his account so that people boycott him or something so he can be canceled one by one inks Marcel Wilson who says focus should be on the person not the gun and that gun control should always be synonymous with the illegal gun crime which is it, it should be admits he yeah. took money from the CCFR Canada's <laughs> most vocal gun lobby group after question from of course who else would even dare to do that 
uh, Pam Damoff. And then it, that whole tweet thing was not going well for them at all because people are like, whoa, I think, you know, I think, I think you zigged when you should have zagged there. Um, no, 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 that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And where's, where's any fundraiser you've ever done for anyone else other than yourselves? And so, right. but these people, it's, it's a thing with them. They'll dig their heels in. They're right. Doesn't matter how wrong they are in their mind, they're right. And you are, you know, garbage for even implying that they're wrong, even if it's demonstrably true. They come back with another tweet and call him out and tag him again. One by one, Inc. founder Marcel Wilson was critical of Bill C-21 saying he doesn't think ha uh, hashtag handgun freeze would prevent crime. Asked by MP Pam Damhoff, I don't know why they would drag her into it. It's not a good look to begin with. About funding, he conceded his for-profit org received $6,000 from the gun lobby group. So it's like six grand. Like, <laughs> Like that, you think, yeah. You think he made it big now? That's that's <laughs> like that's like friend. two days burn rate for the CCFR, you know? Like what? Anyway, we we've, we've, well, and we've raised other money too, for other people. Yeah, like that wasn't even us taking six grand out of our coffers and sending it over. We did a very specific fundraiser. It was the members and the supporters who participated in the fundraiser raised the six thousand dollars, and we were simply the vehicle to get it over to Marcel's organization. And because of that, it's, you know, they're trying to in insinuate that he's funded by the gun lobby, so he's somehow dirty. Well, just to be perfectly clear, it's not the first time, gun owners are average people, right? Like, it's not the first time that we've um, stepped out of our way or, or, or done something to try and benefit the community at large. We hosted a podcaster's charity shoot in Alberta a couple years ago. We raised over $10,000 in one day for an abused women's shelter in Alberta. So is that women's shelter now like funded by the gun lobby? Should those women be, you know, turned out and sent back to their abusers? Um, we had a bunch of uh, PPE left over after the march. We did a march in the middle of COVID. So we had, you know, trying to be careful and follow the, the stuff. We had purchased a whole bunch of masks and the, um, and the hand sanitizer. We ended up with a big surplus of it. And at the time it was quite difficult to get. And there are places who genuinely need that stuff, like the veterans home here in Ottawa, the Pearly Veterans Home. My dad lived there and died there. And I thought, you know, there's, we were 137 days not being able to get in there. And then when families were finally reunited with their loved ones, these veterans who served their country, you know, they needed a lot of PPE. It's a lot of people to make sure that you've got the stuff you need to have a safe visit. So what, is the Veterans Home now also funded by the gun lobby? Like, that's not the win they think it is. I mean, these are average Canadians from all across the country reaching out to try and help a variety of different causes, suffering from a variety of different stuff. Where is their generosity? What have they done oh. other than sit in their ivory tower and throw buckets of mud on everybody else down, down below them? who are doing the, the, the actual work. Well, right? and don't forget so. the doctors, uh, the spin docs for protection from guns got $300,000 from Airbnb, right? So yeah. anyway. I call that the blood money. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and it was foreign. That's foreign money. It came from the United States too. And you know- and then It they, was after a string of shootings yeah. in their, in Airbnb properties in Toronto, gang related shootings. They needed something to turn their bad PR around. Yeah. So they sent $300,000 over to the spin docs. So they are literally American corporate funded. Yeah, like, yeah. it's foreign, foreign, foreign funded gun lobby group. 
uh, gun control yeah. lobby group. Yeah, that's oh, a joke. Anyway, all right, let's move on because these people don't deserve any more air. Um, that's right. All right, next thing. Okay, so uh, there was political interference in the police investigation into the largest mass shooting in Canadian history, not the largest mass killing, the largest mass shooting in Canadian right. history. And it was a collusion of uh, between uh, Brenda Lucky, the commissioner of the RCMP, Obviously, Bill Blair and Justin Trudeau had to be in there somewhere for sure. Um, And so, of course, they denied that they had they wanted to release information that could have jeopardized the uh, the investigation into the mass shooting in um, in Nova Scotia. Um, Everyone else in that meeting, you know, high ranking RCMP, uh, high ranking civilian members of the RCMP. They all were in full alignment against uh, Brenda Lucky in what she did trying to do that. Um, Brenda Lucky more or less admitted it during the meeting why she wanted information on the guns released way ahead of when it should have been mm-hmm. and uh, and was told that it was going to jeopardize the investigation. And then all of those other people, Lucky and Blair and, of course, Trudeau, all started lying. Oh, I never did. No, 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 until the, a recording came out. And so apparently the recording existed but wasn't available. Now it existed and now it's been released. And guess what? Lucky said exactly what everybody said she said. It was they were lying and the uh, and the the um, RCMP and the civilian members that were on that call were not lying. They were telling the truth. And uh, and now it's out for everybody to hear. It's absolutely incredible that this is this is where we're at in this. And it's wild to me that you've got the legacy media in Canada just carrying water saying, oh, well, you know, like this should be breaking national news. This this should be something that takes down a government, not because that's my my agenda, which, well, yeah, it is. But because this is such a breach of trust with the Canadian people in general, let alone the families of the victims in Nova Scotia. I, I just it's monstrous, in my opinion. And I I, I just I don't know. I don't I don't know where we kind of go from here with this. It's it's incredibly frustrating. It is truly monstrous. And I, I played a video of Trudeau responding to one question, uh, you know, in the in, in my monologue. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I want to make one more mention about uh, something else here is that what like what they did was so immoral. It's hard to even get your head around it. Like it's yeah. truly is leveraging Canadians who've been shot to death. Like it truly is like just using them as a, as a, as a, you know, a political platform. And then of course, turning around and lying about it and then being caught red handed lying. And the media basically did next to no coverage of it. There was no coverage of it to speak of. And then they even, so basically the day when all this came out, the liberals knew they knew it was coming right. A couple hours earlier. And what they did was they implemented the gun freeze that evening. Yeah. So and then they called they called in all of the uh, the press conferences and we even ended up with a notice about it at night. It was in the evening, the day that 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 was supposed to uh, the day before that was supposed to come out. So what they did was they went out and they did all these press conferences on the handgun freeze in order to uh, distract from oh, yeah. what was going on there. And the media let them do it. Like we are talking, let them do it. We're still talking about the Polyev uh, hashtag scandal. And this scandal gave them a free pass. All the legacy media media has given them a free pass. I think I saw like two or three questions 
that Trudeau or Blair were asked. And then, of course, in the House of Commons, they get get it taken to them because, you know, the opposition can ask questions. And Blair continues to lie about it. It's just, and well, nothing. The media is just nothing. It, it's funny because you've got a lot going on right now. You've got the inquiry into the Emergencies Act. You've got that scandal that you just talked about. The economy is tanking and things are not going great. They knew that there's going to be a lot of questions about Bill Blair's um, actions. And you're right. It's like every time they're being plagued by their own scandals and their own corruption and their own misdeeds, what do they do? They break the glass on gun control. This handgun freeze could have been implemented anywhere after October 4th. You know what they did is they held it and they tucked it away knowing that this stuff was going to come out. Yep. And you're right, just when everybody, it's bubbling up to the top and everyone's finding out and the recording is out there and people are understanding what happened, boom, they pull out that that ace card of the handgun freeze and all the media starts running over to that instead to talk about that. It It's absolutely diabolical, brilliant, but diabolical. And yeah, that's kind of where we're at. I mean... There should have been no surprise that the freeze was coming. We've been talking about it since it was announced in May, right? So, yeah, uh, yeah just keeping that ace in your back pocket and, and dropping it at the most opportune time to channel change uh, the narrative in the news of the day. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy town. Okay. That was very stressful. And <laughs> <laughs> sorry to everybody having to listen to this stuff. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm just sorry that this stuff is going on, but you know what? There'll come a day when we can turn it around and that'll be election day. So just take all this energy and all that anger and whatnot and just put put it in a jar, put it up on the shelf and pull that out when uh, when Jagmeet Singh decides that uh, him and the NDP aren't going to uh, support the, the Trudeau liberals anymore and there's an election called because you're going to need all that energy because we got to work harder than we've ever worked to get these people out of office and hopefully we never see any some of these people ever again exactly yeah anyway all right thanks for the update uh and we will see you next time we'll see you then all right that's going to do it for this episode episode 129 of the ctfr radio podcast thanks so much everyone for watching make sure you share this podcast get other people involved and uh as i like to say I, I do it at, you know, at the end of the TV show. I try to do it at the end of the podcast. Some of the stuff we talk about is heavy. A lot of the stuff we talk about is negative. Don't let that stuff get in your head. I know you've heard me say it a, um, a bunch of times, but if you, if you let these people ruin your life by having the negativity that they're pushing uh, towards you, you pick it up and you internalize it, you know, they're going to make you combat ineffective. You need, to, uh, you need to, to keep all this stuff in perspective and, uh, and just know what you need to do. When the election comes, you need to show up. You need to help your MP of choice get elected. You need to distribute the CCFR's uh, pamphlet that we're going to do this election. Hopefully, we can get half a million of them done. We'll see. You know, it's a big task, but I think we can do it. Um, you know, just save that energy for those things, right? So look at it as information that you need. You know, if you have to laugh about it, just laugh about it because there's nothing else you can do about it until an election comes. So anyway, uh, like I said, thanks again for watching. Take care, and we'll see you next time. This is another episode of the CCFR Radio Podcast. Remember, if you don't stand up for your own ability to own and use firearms, who will? Join the CCFR or donate right now at www.firearmrights.ca.